One episode to rule them all. Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. We are closing our series on the Lord of the Rings. Welcome. My name is Evan. I have checked back in on the new Amazon series. I am hanging out with my buddy, Taylor. (laughs) I have looked into what came from the movies. And now today we talk really about the impact of everything post-Jackson leading up to the series. Now we're in the midst of uh, the Rings of Power. When we first started the series, there were only a few episodes out and the reviews were very mixed and it was very opaque. I was very confused. I said (laughs) as much on the show. And now people are, they have formed opinions and it's not great. (laughs) for the series itself. I seem to have found overwhelmingly negative responses to it. And like I say, this isn't, this isn't my material. This isn't something that I have a nostalgic attachment to. I look at it now and it's hard to watch the new series and think about the tactile nature of fellowship of the ring. People are calling a, a, a lack of detail and people are confused. People are also very ahead of the show. They seem to know exactly what basically is going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe it'll t- totally change around. But people seem yeah. very set and sure that, that this show has played its cards. It's not really following the storytelling in the way that they would have expected. Uh, and it's uh, I, I'm a bit sad to come back <laughs> with that report. Um, but... I, yeah. I I'm a bit baffled to to an extent because I was I was confused, but now I'm now I'm just sad <laughs> for, <laughs> for 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 a little bit. So, yeah. but there's a lot to to garner off of this, and we can go a lot of different directions. Yeah, let's talk about just how it came to be. I think because people have been waiting for this for a while, and then we'll dive yeah. into what happened immediately after Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and like you said, all of the other things that Tolkien and his books and the adaptations wrought upon us. So the uh, the brief Rings of Power summary, the television rights were up for grabs because we had said Saul Zantz and his cadre of producing owned the merchandising, theatrical, etc. Yeah. But nobody had, had any sense of the television stuff. So this is what was in the mix. And HBO had pitched... All the, you know, all the streamers are trying to pitch this thing in the past couple of years. And Mm. their thing was trying to appeal to Christopher Tolkien, the son, and saying, hey, we'll do a third age TV show, which is what Peter Jackson's were and the books are in terms of the Lord of the Rings lore. So essentially remaking Peter Jackson's films as a television series on HBO. And obviously that did not go through. Netflix pitched a number of shows. More, it was reported in the Marvel style. So one of Gandalf, one of Aragorn, like uh, Uh, very, very expanded universe type stuff, which horrified them, (laughs) the the, the estate. (laughs) So they didn't really understand it. So what, what ended up happening is Amazon got it through. These two guys, Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne, who have experience writing together for 20 years. But if you look at their credits, it's unproduced or uncredited writing Mm. on projects. They worked with Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams, who sweetened the pot in terms of getting them to be approved by Simon Tolkien, who is the grandson who becomes 
the consultant for the estate because Christopher died in 2020 at the age of 95. Lord. Um, it, it passed along. So it was a shock to people. And then there was a, that was some of the news was trouble in paradise in the sense of who are these people changing of the guard? What yeah. is this actually going to be? They're pitching the second age. And so that was also news of like, well, they don't have the rights to the other one. It was like, no, they just that's what uh, got everybody hmm. excited. Right. And what they thought they could have the most story for. So they pitched and have apparently it figured out. It's a five season commitment, which I thought you would like planning oh, wow. the final shot while working Please. on the first. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they allegedly have it all. You know, obviously things change with it, but this is how the contract was signed. Hmm. And 250 million reported for the rights. Wow. It will be the most expensive show ever made. Oh, my God. Wow. So that's the that's the long and short of it. Well, it's hard. It's hard to look at the images from this thing and compare it really to what you see in the Jackson material. Uh huh. I'm a bit baffled when you when you have to say sentences like it's the most expensive show ever made, but it has effects that look like, you know, basically a run of the mill Disney Plus show that premieres every week. I I'm, yeah. I'm it's it's confusing. And the task here, if you're going to do the most expensive show ever made to set up one of the most beloved pieces of media ever made, the Jackson trilogy, the call there is to find the talent that can yeah. shoulder <laughs> that uh, responsibility. And it feels like from what you're describing that it was sheer corporate <laughs> necessity, really, that boiled to the top of what we got instead of anybody at any point really understanding the call, which is we have to find we have to find a talent that's worthy of what we are about to put them on <laughs> worthy of what we're about to put on their shoulders. And when you yeah. look at what they pulled back, they just didn't find it. And um, who knows how much, you know, it's like Jeff Bezos was personally in the negotiations. He has a big love of fantasy and this sort of thing. So who knows how much sway there was on right. round nosing and kind of like the George Lucas effect of like, sure, boss. Okay, boss, whatever you say, boss. I don't know. It's also. not to say, and, on, and that's yeah. nothing necessarily against Patrick McKay or John Payne. You're, it's yeah. that at some level, somebody needed to take control of the ship and be the person. This is the person that is <laughs> we're going to put next to Peter Jackson's name. I'm fine with Patrick McKay and John D. Payne working and developing and writing together and fine. Okay, great. But then... Yeah. There needed to be a directing team put together and helmed by somebody that, and that, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, just, it's kind of fascinating. Um, it is. Yeah. The one thing that I was fascinated by, too, with all the hustle and scuttlebutt, which is ludicrous, but it got all the news, was the, could be minority of people, but the internet just accentuates that, is these ideas of racism and was and then going back and looking and like was Tolkien racist and having mm -hmm, black actors mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings and it's based on British mythology and mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of this junk was coming up I saw a lot of well why are there so many women yeah yeah <laughs> you know like I I don't I don't I, all right <laughs> next yeah. well and it's funny um, because I yeah no, it was it was uh interesting to look back and there were homophobic complaints of Ian McKellen being cast as Gandalf, 
when it came out. You know, it's like it never ends. It's there's this is the current trend of uh, people saying, oh, this it's like you didn't care about the Little Mermaid until you you were able to express your racist views in a public forum without recourse. Good Lord. Uh, So I looked into Tolkien and I saved it for this because I knew it was going to be a part of what people were talking about with the Rings of Power. And was what was his situation? And was he putting stuff like that in the books? And we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and from what I could find, so obviously, as we say with any human life, it's complicated. He definitely denounced racism and anti-Semitism to his detriment. He did not have a German translation of The Hobbit because he refused to declare Aryan origins for himself. And so it was not. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. a definitive. Uh, yeah. I am losing something here for something simple that could be not for its time perceived. You know, he hated the Nazis. He spoke out yeah. against apartheid in South Africa. If you remember, he was born there and lived there for a little bit as a kid. Okay. The other side of things is also he's a man of his time. And perhaps, and there's whole college courses on this, there are racial prejudices in the allegories of Middle Earth, mm-hmm. different races being more than or less than or unable to mix or able to mix or, you know, this sorts of stuff in the genealogies. But you can also look at the other side and say, well, the values that he's espousing are explicit friendship, courage, altruism coming together against this very strong moral stance, as we said, his relationship to World War I and World War II. And you'd have to really, I mean, you'd have to dig into the text for real with that mission of of looking like, well, is this this representation of the world that he sees around him without condoning or endorsing it? I don't know that, but you'd have to go with that question. Somebody surely has doesn't. That's fast. That's fascinating. And there's, like I said, there's textbooks on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it 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 is something that has come up to the fore because yeah. the modern internet trolls have wormed their way in and are making a whole bunch of <laughs> noise around this show as if they you know. internet echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was interesting to look at and be like, you know, he was vocally opposed to it. Perhaps in his works, there's there's more, but also he was writing in the 1930s, 40s, 50. You know. This he wasn't so he wasn't so he wasn't the hyper progressive right. on the soapbox but the hippies loved him which he hated <laughs> so you know that's also kind of interesting right. too it's it's fascinating too on that idea of an echo chamber because it then you start seeing like them grab for things all over the place and that's where I like I laugh at this idea of being frustrated that like a woman has been switched in for a certain you know role of power or something cuz and it's like when I watch it, I'm frustrated by like the filmmaking decisions, like you, why you are cutting to this insert of a character doing right. <laughs> or stealing something. Because, and you're you're thinking that showing me that they're like intelligent when now I'm thinking that they're like a douche. Or so, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think I'm getting the wrong thing from the scene that you're putting out. Uh, and you're you're building a different type of character than actually the one I'm impacted with. Whereas, like I like I don't have in I don't from where I'm coming from I don't know if the character should have been a lady or a guy or what the base text is. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know, but that that's the internet. <laughs> the idea that this echo chamber can represent a whole lot of nothing really. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of diverse nonsense coming from probably not that many different sources yeah 
it's a uh, the the, the, the fandom side, bizarre, thing. yeah, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. is. I never thought yeah. about this as a fan. You know, it's so we think about the Marvel fandom and that kind of thing, but like the Lord of the Rings fandom. And I was like thinking, well, maybe they're a quiet bunch with like the first like two episodes when they were out, and I was looking at the first couple episodes, and now now I'm looking at them, going like, what sleeping monster have I yeah. trespassed on? <laughs> Well, I saw the just some pop culture stuff and the '60s stuff to to lay on what we glanced over in the first episode. The slogan "Frodo lives" was huge in the '60s. There was graffiti, bumper stickers, buttons. It was referenced in the news. It was like <laughs> this whole hippie movement that got uh, merchandised and and put out into the world. Oh my and gosh! The, yeah, I was looking, and, and in modern times, the in terms of the fandom. It's in the top five for the biggest properties on fan fiction, on the biggest fan fiction sites, fanfiction.net and archive really? of our own, oh which gosh. speaks to how it's still, you know, and we talked about with our, I don't know what episode, maybe kissing booth or something with our <laughs> fan, you know, fan fiction is yes. usually sexual. I don't think much of it is with this. I think it's what he was interested in expanding the lore, adding to the story, adding to the lineages of the characters and right when somebody builds such a cool sandbox that you're like well can i just build my castle in the corner away from you know (laughs) (laughs) right 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 yeah star wars you know (laughs) yeah it was it also kind of ruined what he wanted with the books like we said i guess it makes sense why he was so opposed to it he's called what sprang up in the late 60s my deplorable cultus Oh, and, I, no. and then I looked oh, into it and no. remember when he moved to the seaside, that was also part of that where there were too many people b- haranguing him that he had to move. It wasn't just for his own, for his wife to host parties in his retirement. He had, he changed his phone number. It was like a the whole. The more I think about that Tolkien movie, the more I like wish it was a completely different movie, not a romance movie about getting his wife to marry yeah. him and in a ring and all these allusions to Lord of the Rings. But like, I wish it was this portrait of this like man like moving from like a like a left stance to like you know art and and thought <laughs> and then like slowly as like time shifts around him finding himself on the other side of the fence. That's that's a that I, that'd be a beautiful movie in my mind, but I don't know. Yeah. That's that's what I I, I the more yeah. I have thought about it over the last three weeks, the more I'm just like, <laughs> man, I I would have loved to see that movie of this guy like the the ground shifting beneath his feet and not yeah. recognizing his fan base or how time is really moving around him. It's kind of right. hilarious and beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this yeah, no, it's it's perfect, and his sadness is not without merit in the sense of the literary study didn't take hold until the 80s because it was some hippie nonsense uh <laughs> this is amazing i'm just like you know I think, it, it I makes keep sense thinking about this yeah yeah and I, I i i left out some stuff of the quote that i said about him wanting it to be linked to a majestic hole and leaving scope for other minds and hands and all that mm-hmm. uh i found the full letter that he sent to his friend and he mm-hmm. put at the beginning do not laugh but once upon a time, my crest has long since fallen. I had a mind to make blah, blah, blah. So he was uh. already cynical about that it could be anything. And then at the end, I forgot one word where he says, leaving scope for other minds and hands, wielding paint and music and drama. Absurd. That's how he ended it. <laughs> that really... Um... So I lied in terms of that <laughs> quote being where Whoops. he was like, oh, I want Whoops. this. He was like, bah, this will never happen. <laughs> this is stupid. And I'm an idiot for thinking it could work. 
That's uh, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. Just, yeah, <laughs> to lay on <laughs> that he uh, he he had no faith in this becoming more than what he had put out there. Um, but oh, I, I, I thought it was cool that people had taken it seriously. There's a whole thing called Tolkienology, which mm-hmm. is the study of his works and the appendices and everything as real ancient history, as if they're doing in-universe research. So a few oh. of the subjects that you could follow, linguistics and the writing systems, obviously, My building upon that and learning right. it. The genealogies of everything, again, treating it as if, okay, well, this is a real world how did the lineage of kings and oh, well, the yeah. races and all of that go through religion so and morality? That... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Gosh. Yeah, no, I yeah. was going to ask, if, uh, you know, my next thought was then does cartography code like topographical like. Oh, yes. So, on, yeah. <laughs> based yeah. on what. Yeah. <laughs> so you could track the astronomical phases of stars and moons that he's referencing to determine how the geography of the land worked. It's so um, real. The, the census and population research to delineate who lived where and how much and how that shifts over time. Of course, the strategies of the wars and the different groups and how that affected their culture. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's just you could take it as if it was a real world and divide it by country and say, this is how this built up over time. Skyrim Um, by another name. No. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm, that's what I the next thought I've had now jumping to like, why isn't this a living, breathing, uh, you know, open world beautiful game like we have gotten accustomed to with some of these things uh skyrim obviously red dead grand yeah. theft auto i'm just like this is so this is so much more real than i mentioned earlier the idea of the sandbox i'm gonna build such a cool sandbox yeah. man get in there room for me in it you know star <laughs> wars is my next comparable to that yeah but like star wars doesn't have a set like geography it i'm sure you know, it does but it does yeah. it's not like something that you can draw out or you know something that you know buy a board it's got game, its galaxies and, and planets you know what and, I mean? yeah, yeah it does but that's a little bit far from here's the map <laughs> and uh, there's the mountain range and here's the river and there, there's the forest and you know <laughs> and here's how it affected um, people's language over time and there's and there's the stars yes exactly and here's what they saw from that perspective in the sky <laughs> um and that's how so religion, much more rich yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly that it's so much more rich it's so much more connected it's so much more like set in stone and, and real yeah. in in a way that uh that now I'm struggling to draw a comparison to, <laughs> and now I'm my next yeah. thing is you know like why is Skyrim Skyrim and, and not just this? <laughs> well, I'll throw you some um, influences uh, based on some stuff that you mentioned, and maybe add a little bit more as far as here's all the nerds who took this and tried to take the inspiration and do their yeah. own thing. Takashi Tezuka, yeah, yeah, absurd, can't do it. Uh, <laughs> Takashi Tezuka was the scriptwriter for the first two Legend of Zelda games, and he loved mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. And obviously, mm-hmm. they're trying to make that in 8-bit or 16-bit right. <laughs> representation. And then the fantasy boom in the 70s following the 60s, Dungeons & Dragons, definitely. the uh, They also feature several races, halflings, which are hobbits, elves, dwarves, dwarves orcs i gotta stop um, you i've just had yeah. a completely different thought that you know i'm thinking about it now and i i've never played any zelda game oh but i want to know what zelda's relationship to link is oh <laughs> and i think yeah. a movie would really answer that i would go see that movie 
I'm just saying on it depends general. on the yeah it depends <laughs> on the game they change the lore every single this time is what i'm saying they, though yeah. with the movie you get the chance to rewrite it for a new audience and if that is i would go see you know what i mean i would go see that <laughs> but i digress back to all of the other properties that this thing has inspired uh which is just vast <laughs> sure sure yeah the just to tie a, the loose end of the dungeons and dragons side of things they have all these creatures named the lead designer said that he was not drawing inspiration he just included them because it was popular mm. and it was sort of a marketing thing to draw people <laughs> to it oh we've got oh. elves and dwarves and orcs and that sort of thing and of course like you said elder scrolls warcraft dragon quest inspires all these video games Lord. um and the the word orc cuz that was that's in dungeons and dragons is pretty much a tolkien or is pretty much a tolkienism <laughs> well, in a way, it, it existed, but it was only used once in plural in the Beowulf Old English version. Mm. But it's most commonly translated as evil spirits. Okay. Okay. So he he really brought the word orc to the fore of no, oh, this is this gruesome creature, ogreish, more ogreish. Yeah, yeah, ogre had been around, but he is the one. If you know the word orc, it's because of him, or if it's used in any sort of fantasy context, different mm -hmm. from an ogre. That's his jam. And so people have taken and stolen that and added to it. One of the things, because you had mentioned, oh, Star Wars and the map and all of that, I found a odd influence from the earlier drafts of Star Wars. Mm. Uh, dialogue between Obi-Wan and Luke is plagiarized from Gandalf and Bilbo in chapter one of The Hobbit. No. It's the moment, yeah, Gandalf says, good morning, and Bilbo asks... Are you having one? Are you wishing one? Or that all mornings are good? And Gandalf says all of them at once. That is in the script. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh my god, it's dropped by the fourth draft because it, by you know in seventy seven oh people know gosh. this. You can't put yeah, yeah. one to one the mage George. wise person meeting. But the you monk didn't life. Rhyme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Gandalf. Gandalf is Kenobi and right, sacrifices but. himself. To the Balrog, he does it to Darth Vader, sacrifices himself, right. disappears, comes back in a astral-esque form later All on. All the you more know, reason like, why you shouldn't put his words in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> one for one. <laughs> and then it's so obvious, and I think maybe we've said this, God knows where, but R2-D2 and C-3PO <laughs> carrying the data tapes is the one ring and the fellowship <laughs> surrounding them to protect them. Mordor being the Death Star, the Stormtroopers are orcs, right. as we said. The Cantina is the Prancing Pony, and Han Solo is Strider, this rebel outside of the system trying to protect them, going along in the yeah. Fellowship, and he has a greater destiny. It's all there, just not the plagiarized dialogue <laughs> from <laughs> the first chapter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lord have mercy, George. That's hilarious. It's cool to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it also again, like a lot of what we do over the show is demystify these things. Like people <laughs> made them. You know, look at that. Star Wars is really somebody really just really loved Lord of the Rings and Flash Gordon movies. Yeah. Uh, and so, and like, Sam, it's no yeah, question. And yeah, no, stuff all, all of it. All. I was, that's a gross, like, boy. You know. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. A lot of influences, but like. People made these things. They are directly influenced. They are paying direct homage. Sometimes this is overt and on the table. Um, mm -hmm. In instances like that, it's like hilarious. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but that's really the work of this show. Is like as as 
solidified as Lord of the Rings and Star Wars feel like institutions to yeah. us. We just articulated and how fragile and man-made they are. <laughs> well, going off of that, I'm glad you brought that side of it up. We're taking a step back in time and then we'll get to the films in thereafter and changing. But I wanted to draw our attention to, if you go to the links in the show notes, some photos because mm. the adaptation aspect of it really does open itself to interpretation. Of course, Tolkien didn't like any of them. They were made nonetheless. We mentioned the animated stuff, but I want right. uh, Evan's going to look at these pictures. There's a there's a bluish one. If you see yes, that, yes. that was oh, from the 1946 German edition of The Hobbit. It ended up being translated uh, after see. all. Okay. And this is from uh, the illustrations that they got, Tolkien hated, because they're too Disney-fied. But very it, you Disney, really could, very German. You really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you really could interpret Gandalf and the Hobbits as such. And yes. then that would completely color your perception when you're reading this. It is a right. children's book as well. But right. That's how that perception goes. I just like to see like, oh, yeah, then if you made a movie like that, it's not too far off. It's just not how you might have read the books your way. Right, uh, right. Or, or yeah, I look at it now ones. and I yeah. go, there's the character. I get it. The castle, the mountains, the topography. I get yeah. it. I got it. Cool. At, it's, it, it's not the gritty golds and greens <laughs> and browns and beautiful land. It's not. It's not all that, but it it is the character nonetheless. It's both of the characters (laughs) nonetheless. There's a hobbit there. uh, I I see it. Uh, This is fascinating. This is, and again, I'm I'm glad that there was more to go off of from our first episode going Mm -hmm. into the animation stuff because this, looking at different iterations of this thing is so important to help us remember how how (laughs) man-made these things are. Exactly. Different interpretations of these things are so important for us to remember. Um, and then, especially yeah. if they're going to continue making them. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second one is my favorite one. So I suggest everybody click on this. It's the, the yes, black and white please. photo. So this is the 1962 Swedish version. And this is the artist's rendering of Gollum. And they are not wrong because Gollum is not specified. Tolkien does not say how large he is. And so... Oh this is a completely legitimate but vastly different interpretation of what yes. Gollum would be in relation to Bilbo. And it's wonderful because it's like you could totally see this. And it could and it's horrifying to think of a giant version of Gollum with this all masked face in a way and he, still the huge eyes. I mean, it's all there what is in the text, but uh we could have had this and we're you know, approaching it's... scary stories in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, with this with this type of interpretation to a degree. This is this is beautiful. Yeah. And it and again, so like you're saying, so incredibly different from yeah. the German version, the blue version. Um Yeah. And then later on, of course, Gollum, he specifies what the size is. But if you just read oh The gosh. Hobbit, it could be this could be how you visualized it, and you're not yes. wrong. So I, yes. li- I just wanted to bring that up as far as, well, here's how all these things shake out and what the influences are. Could have been something like these two things. <laughs> and, and that's, uh, you know, when we come off of, you know, where they have a new show that's supposed supposed to be yeah. parallel continuity. Is somebody else going to redo the breadth of it in 50 years, you know? like, <laughs> And then is it going to have to be the same? Or are we going to have to reinvent these things? Then do these 
type of designs come up and get looked at again, uh, you know, when, when we're all gone and yeah. people love this story. And for some reason we got to pump more money into making it again. <laughs> I'm just, we, we write these things off right now. And I, and I think that would be at our peril to not absorb, especially if you're interested in a particular piece of media, if you really love a property character, a story, uh, to really delve into all of the different iterations of it. And you can hold your opinions of what you love and what you think is right. That's great. That's perfect. But to absorb and really digest all of these other iterations, I think is so important to mm-hmm. really getting to the meat of the material and understanding it and then understanding how hard it is to really bring these things to life in a different medium, in a different form, to visualize it, to put this <laughs> pen to paper and draw this incredible, grotesque monster I'm looking at right now. Uh, and then all the way, if we were to actualize it and hand this to a studio and we, we're going to shoot this scene on Monday, yeah, it's an, it's an incredible amount of work and the opportunities to interpret this work are not done. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just I want to put a pin at how important these things are because, it, again, Star Wars, uh, Lord of the Rings, these things that feel like institutions, they're solidified, they're foundations. They will be rewritten at some point. (laughs) For the audience. Yeah, I was just looking at like how on TikTok people think that certain Gen Z humor doesn't make sense or it's just completely out there and not funny and who would laugh at that? And it's like compare it to the Dadaist movement post previous hundred year flu and lingering world war one and yes. instability all over the world what what art was created was just life is absurd so let's laugh at the nonsense right right and right. it's happening uh, again a hundred yeah. years later oh these my things gosh, you're yeah so spot on yeah shift around so the version of whatever big epic fantasy thing may have a woman in it where once was a man <laughs> right. or whatever right. it might be. So yeah. like when I look at these things, it just makes it so much easier for me as a screenwriter, as a creative to sit down and feel like, well, I can do this, you know, a day at a time, a task at a time, but I can, <laughs> you know, you can do this and you, you can create something that you're just as proud of. Um, somebody yeah. made these things and other people interpreted them. I, lo- I just love humanizing these things, bringing it back down to like a couple drawings, a couple small interpretations from people who didn't never saw any of the material that we are so connected to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's really important to help us contextualize this. And especially when we find ourselves so confused when we're looking now at a new- say, No, that isn't it. It's like- <laughs> Right. <laughs> the Swedish lady who drew this in 62, she was right. Who, who's to exactly, say? You exactly. Know? Yeah. She didn't get it wrong. There's nothing wrong about it. This is, uh, that's, yeah. it, and that, that's, that's so important and so fascinating. Um, For sure. Yeah, exactly. I love how you're saying there's so many different ways that it right. could be done. Who's, who's right and who's wrong with some of this stuff? Obviously, people have their opinions, which leads us perfectly to a bit of research about what in the heck happened with the Hobbit films, because they were completely over my head. I didn't care or follow. Right. But they're some of the highest grossing things of all time. But also people despised them. At yeah, the same very divisive time. <laughs> for their time uh, and made by the same people, person. made by most <laughs> the of the person, same person, yeah. you know, like. So it's fascinating the response it gets. And, that, and that's where I get where we stakehold these things of like, this is what it is. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I had to look um, into more to it than that. Because of what the Rings of Power and the fandom backlash and the what is it? in line with it is it a part of what peter jackson did i i didn't understand i was not following when the hobbit films all came out 
what they were supposed to be. So real quickly, the timeline, because originally he was going to do one Hobbit film and two Lord of the Rings, and then they just did all three Lord of the Rings. So the Hobbit was always on deck with New Line. Peter Jackson, shortly after the Lord of the Rings films were completed, filed a lawsuit against New Line. Whoa. Because he said they shorted him on revenue from the merchandising. They withheld money. Their accounting was all wrong. Oh, my gosh. And he's got to get paid what he's owed. And Robert Shea basically unfriended him on Facebook and was like, Peter Jackson is greedy. He's never again going to direct a film here. Persona non grata at New Line Studios. <laughs> get out of my New face. Yeah. So, of course, that halted development. And this is the intervening years after, you know, mid to late 2000s. Wow. New Line, however, has a bunch of flops in the film department. Yeah, that's actually when I would say that that's, you know, early 2000s, they really start a, a huge decline to the point where <laughs> I don't think they they, they yeah. might exist in some in some small fashion. But from what I understood, they and New Line Cinema, as I knew it as the bread and butter of the 80s and 90s horror backbone, uh, closed down at the back end of the 2000s before even the 2010s. So, um, yeah, yeah, that this would be kind of the nail in the coffin. (laughs) Now that I'm putting that timeline together, it feels like the Hobbit films get right up on their feet the moment. the. (laughs) Well, yeah. So Bob Shea has a has a blissful change of heart. He admires Peter, wants him to be involved in any creative capacity (laughs) in the Hobbit. Um, (laughs) Peter, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, New Line also uh, got fined $125,000 for failing to provide proper accounting documments this whole lawsuit got Jesus. resolved. Oh my god! They had I don't know the, exactly the what they paid. Biggest movies him, in the they... world. <laughs> what? Okay. I think what? so. Peter I got what he. Docu- yeah. I want a documentary series about this because they have, this is a this is a film com- a famous famous film distributor who has like yeah. the, the best movies ever made, uh, and and then gets itself into a whole heap of trouble, <laughs> and then like yeah. alienates its star talent who made the best movies ever made yeah uh and then the company falters and closes um, <laughs> he has to turn around to that star talent he alienated yeah. and go peter baby <laughs> oh my god yeah. i had no idea this is incredible so, yeah so then peter jackson's like i'll help produce i'll be on the creative side i'm not going to direct i'm not going to compete with my own stuff probably also he's like i'm over this in, in a way uh I also looked into on the other side of things, who else is involved? The Tolkien estate also filed suit around this time for fraud and proper compensation. Profits for them were withheld. Was good. Just do and this it. was this settled crazy. Yeah, out of court. I'm like, what happened? I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, now I'm like, I would love to get to the bottom of just like what happened at New Line Cinema and why they, they just kept just a bunch of money they that wasn't the, theirs. Right. They just yeah. had the most successful movies of all time and just can't just tried to keep money that sounds insane it sounds insane well, and like you're, you're gonna get away with it no you have what I, there's yeah. more there's i'm just saying all this because there's more to this story and this this is interesting and i'm gonna do my own i'm interested yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the cliff's notes version but they're back they're back on in 2008 starting pre-production they get guillermo right. del toro hired as the director and mm. the the whole oh. Separate documentary that should be uh, put together with all of this is he yeah. had dis- he had said he didn't get the Lord of the Rings 
a couple years before it wasn't his thing. He didn't, really? he wasn't. So then, but he's the guy to do it. And so he's trying to slowly shift out of what Peter Jackson had created and turn it into his version of what he envisions this world being. But maybe it's okay because The Hobbit is a different story as Tolkien himself See, says. Back you know, at the beginning of the episode where I said that the call to action for the, the new series was you have to find a talent that can shoulder yeah. the weight of the Jackson material. This is what I'm talking about is that <laughs> Del Toro is the type of person that could have shouldered it. So imagine if we just replaced with the context you just said about the, the late 2000s and we just slapped it over what happened the last few yeah. years here with Amazon. Now we're talking about something that has some viability. Unfortunately, a name like that <laughs> never materializes. Anyway, yeah. back to- Because there was- uh tons of issues. There was uh, huge mergings and co-productions and MGM didn't have the financing and it just got delayed for years. So then Del Toro leaves because he said, I can't deal with this. I got other stuff. I got to make do. movies, y'all. <laughs> and this isn't working. <laughs> so Jackson swoops in. I'm not sure exactly either who got who on board, but he, I think maybe he's just a nice person. I don't, I don't know. It's like he had, he said, it's like, we can't wind the clock back a year and a half and piece it all together with what he was doing. Del Toro had put together slapdash, you know, storyboards, what sets were things. So he's like, I'm, we're just shooting. We're winging it. I'll post a link to a video of some behind the scenes where he's just like, no prep, no storyboards, unfinished scripts. Just every day. We're like, what are we going to shoot today to make this work? I wish Uh, there were SNL skits of the two of, (laughs) of them just trying to get through it. Uh, yeah, and him to, and and Peter just being such a nice guy, he's doing the best <laughs> with what he can. But like, come on, Guillermo, what monster is this? How did you? This isn't how the hobbits look. Yeah, it's a musical <laughs> number. I don't know, you know, what he would, <laughs> what he would have put hilarious. in there. But it also got shifted from two to three films. That's always a good decision. I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't understand. Um, but this is after the fact. So what was funny, they did the same thing with Lord of the Rings where it was filmed for two years, 266 days of filming. And then they oh, said, oh, there's a third film they here. Just cut it. They just cut it into, into three movies. I yeah, see, there was 10 weeks in 2013 for additional filming for the third film. Okay, okay. So because The Hobbit is called There and Back Again. So they did the There and then they did the Back Again. And then they did a third <laughs> film. And... Uh, that's the story of The Hobbit is why people are like, this is a disaster cobbled together, confusing corporate was. thing. And it was. And it was. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. wow. So I didn't know any of that. I was I was glad to know that it was like, oh, Peter Jackson didn't just fumble the ball. No, no, no. He right. was doing damage control. He was basically doing a favor. Yeah. <laughs> doing damage control. It's basically his legacy on the line to yeah. a certain extent. And like watch the whole company go down the drain. So, okay. And they were about to go out and you know, your name's on again, like I said, his name's on it regardless. So I, he feels like he just got caught doing a favor, which is hilarious, but it also (laughs) makes his entire thing making, make way more sense. And yeah, it makes like, I will say, yeah. Didn't Andy circus like to have a huge like part to do with like getting it all done. (laughs) I think Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, he came in to direct like huge, massive swaths of like second unit. Yeah, which all that makes so much more sense now, and the the off kiltered response to it all makes so much sense now because audiences at the end of the day aren't dumb. Like they, mm-hmm. they like we see it. Like it, 
they're right. And everybody was right. The problem is, is they don't have the perception or the knowledge to know exactly why it ended up in the state that it was. And that's all very unfortunate when you just have to release a movie anyway. <laughs> and it's business. And we paid so much for this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And the more, the more, the more there is, uh -huh. the, uh, I think the more those are those three movies stand out. Mm -hmm. And we have to appreciate them for what they are. Yeah. Because these things are not easy. And at the same time, accept that these things are going to be rewritten and remade. And it's happened really quickly in succession. <laughs> it, <laughs> it happened again now. It's going to happen again. And so at some level, we have to look at them and appreciate at least an attempt, the attempt, Try to find some sort of the good in it. <laughs> right. uh, you are at some level, if you really love this material, and I'm, and I'm talking about loving the material beyond the Jackson films. If you love these novels, yeah. if you really love these stories, this real material, I think it's just at the base level. You should be happy and, and interested to see what is going to be made of it. Um, yeah. I, you know, at some level, you're getting more of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I have to think about this. I, I, I was telling people when Star Wars got bought, you know, either you were going to have no more Star Wars for the end of time. And what you got is what you got. And nobody you that was just the party <laughs> and everybody's late to it. And there will be no more tickets sold to this party or the only entity capable of buying it purchases it <laughs> and we get some more of it. And we is that sandbox big enough? Um, to where everybody can be in it and have their own space to make and it does it affect yours really really you know what I mean yeah yeah <laughs> um, so if you really love these properties beyond just the movie you like or just the character the moments that you like if you really love these properties there's something really to garner from man they're taking another shot at it well they didn't yeah. get it they know I don't know about this one but hey popcorn you know what i mean yeah. again at the end of the day entertainment that's the optimistic um, view yeah, right which I love. you know yeah yeah that's, well, let's, and let's, that's what we try yeah. to do here <laughs> let's culminate here with in a perfect segue the peter jackson films and up to today what really changed because of them looking like you said taking right. what you get and and making the most of it what did happen that we're living in now that they really uh moved the needle on in cinema culture and otherwise. And, oh man. Uh, yeah. The, the biggest bullet point being obviously fantasy being taken seriously. Right. That was not the case in 2001. Sci-fi was Star Wars, you know, but right. nothing fantasy. And it's like this now, proved, God, this yeah. proved that fantasy could play on a Star Wars ball field for real on, mm -hmm. a, on a general audience level for real. Yeah. And we have a competing television show now at the same time as this is, you know, it's like, right. it's no longer special. And then alongside that, I think, of equal measure, quality actors in this genre space, Surrey and McKellen, rising yeah. star Viggo Mortensen, everybody else involved, obviously, that was a big deal, which I think people take for granted that the Marvel movies have huge <laughs> brand name actors and right. B-listers. That's a direct reflection of, oh, we can take superheroes yes. seriously if we can take being an elf seriously we can put it, nicole kidman in this wardrobe yeah. and they will love it <laughs> yeah 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 so i think we forget that that also is cause for people wearing capes and latex right. and spandex and whatever is this 
And then along with that, the level of post-production efforts, motion capture, performance capture, the technical side of things, that's all day, every day. Evan, your wife knows she's watching the footage (laughs) of all this stuff. Well, there's the scope and scale both in front and behind uh, Mm -hmm. the camera has just evolved beyond what we think of movies being like this, this, this really opened up a new scope and scale for telling stories that has, I think looking back over the last two decades has set a real precedent for what an epic is going to (laughs) be is for what then increasingly what studios thought worthy of investment with these. Mm -hmm. That's where you see the rise of tent pole cinema. And so this is this is on the onset of streaming. So this divide and chasm comes of well, what format is it for, and where 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 do audiences want to go for what? You know, Lord of the Rings leads that charge of the things that you want to see in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's ultimate. It's ultimately so surprising now that these things are battling it out on a streaming level, um, and coming for that round, coming for that space too. Uh, Sorry, that we Brian. brought that scope and scale that we thought this is what a movie is. Now we're saying this is what a TV show. <laughs> this is what a TV show is. And now the the the, the lines between the two are blurring. Uh, and I think, I, 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 yeah. And I would say that's what's so cool is that it seems obvious. And that's this is probably my final point of the whole thing. And the change is, and I could just be waxing poetic about it, but it did really show to a lot of people and maybe not as much studio people, but the audience to believe that nothing is unfilmable. Because right. this was the most right. unfilmable thing. And now we have, especially based, I'm just talking about even books that people are like, no, Watchmen. And Watchmen all these can. Done before un- The Hobbit comes yeah. out. So, yeah. Yeah. Cloud yeah. Atlas. Unfilm. Did, they did it. Dune now. Yeah. They just did. These it's are all done. massive books that nobody said could be done. And I feel like The Lord of the Rings really did open that up. And, we are seriously yeah. losing the context, too, as an audience. <laughs> Uh, of how far we came so fast with these things. Seriously, in the 90s, we were saying that like X-Men might be impossible. (laughs) You know, like these superhero movies, the way we are thinking about them might be impossible. And now it's so blasé (laughs) (laughs) to think about a superhero movie in this scope and scale and how fast that became the precedent. Now, this is what a movie is. Um, In 1995, what a movie is looked way more like Forrest Gump, which was still groundbreaking yeah it's yeah. it's hard to even contextualize how much that movie was breaking down the door of what was possible but then when you look at just the images of it you go yeah you can go and capture that footage that you can go go and capture those images <laughs> good luck yeah. with lord of the rings uh, <laughs> this, yeah i just what I think we it, think of as a, what we expect as audiences are, are really astronomical and what we think is possible well that's not even in the game anymore I, I, <laughs> right. it, really computers and the 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 currency of effects that we are living in in the last 20 years have completely erased this notion of is it possible to film and now our language really of storytelling and the deep yes. world and the lore and it's all combined that i think it's a great summation of like oh here's the reaction to the rings of power it's like well that's the movie's fault <laughs> did it it did so yes. much all that, at once yeah that's what and that's where i i'm left underwhelmed with the new series and where i go i just i man i disagree with where your intent is for your cutting momentum shot to shot and what that's supposed to say about your character but that's all now. Can you tell a story has nothing to do with can you put me in the time and world? 
Yeah. Uh, now that stuff, oh, we can do that. We can walk in an LED <laughs> stage downtown and walk onto the Mandalorian stage and be transported anywhere right there. Now you see it. Now it's now it's yeah. reflecting light onto your costume and you are living where you it's right there. Yeah. Uh, now it's all about how do you tell the story? How where do you put your camera? Why are you putting it there? What is the intent? What's the takeaway? Uh, can you tell the story? <laughs> I think that now this has been a beautiful place to wind back on in this on this episode and try to understand maybe, well, you know, again, if you love this material, what's going on in this show and being able to read it a little bit more. Um, yeah. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> we reached it. This is the end. Uh, Lord of the Rings done in the books. It's been on the calendar for God knows how long. Uh uh, I learned an immense amount. I hope you guys did too. Thanks for sticking with us. Three episodes. My gosh, this is great. <laughs> I certainly have way more context for this for these things, and my affinity for those three Jackson films are are just are just going through the roof. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. Going forward, got to appreciate the things we have, but also you know we're we're moving on and being able to dissect and analyze a new version of the story. You know, it, it, it's just. It's not the last time this is going to happen. So <laughs> brace yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Check out our links if you are curious. Again, if you are if you were running and listening to us and didn't get to click on the pictures, give them a look. Reach out to us at illiteratepod on Instagram or illiteratepod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, curse words, suggestions <laughs> of episodes. We're constantly getting them. We're going to do old stuff, new stuff. We're not just tied to what's happening week to week. As you can see, we go back get in time. Get in touch with us. Yeah, get in touch with us. You never know. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And until next week, stay safe, and we'll catch you then. <laughs>